Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It's Thursday, February 15. It's PFT Live. Miles Simmons is joining me today, and obviously the NFL world, the sports world, and the world at large, at least in our country, rocked by the events yesterday at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade and rally in Kansas City, a mass shooting that left one dead and more than 20 injured, a lot of the injuries not serious, psychological injuries, I think, far more widespread. That was one of the first things that struck me about this. Although every mass shooting is terrible in its own uniquely horrible way, this is one that while fortunately the damage to human life wasn't on the same magnitude that we've seen elsewhere. The damage to human psyche is far more widespread because there were far more people who were terrorized by the incident, even though initial indications are it was not an act of terrorism. We're going to talk about that for a little while. Then we're going to try to do what we always do, which is provide you with information and maybe a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of diversion from the heavier stories of the day. We're fortunate that we cover a sport, Miles, that rarely is part of the heavier stories of the day. But here we are. Here we are, Mike. And, you know, here we are again saying the same things, right? When will enough be enough? And, you know, I have people who were very, very close to me at that parade yesterday, right? At that rally. I mean, some of them work for the chiefs. Some of them live in Kansas city and were there as fans. And I have been very fortunate to be one of probably the few Americans who has not been directly touched by a senseless act of gun violence, but I got damn close yesterday. I got really damn close. And you know, it, it makes me angry. And it would make me angry anyway. Any anytime I hear something like this, it makes me angry, you know. And the 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 theme of thoughts and prayers is not enough, right? We need action. And I think there are those of us in this country who really believe that, and there are not enough of us who really want to see those things put into action. And by not enough of us, I mean those of us who are in positions of power, who are in government. Um, so yeah, Mike, I'm and I'm he- I'm ticked off. I am. Even as we continue to hear and see accounts of the NRA diminishing in its power and influence, there's still no indication that politicians are going to find a way to lead us out of this dystopia in which we reside, the only country in the world. And these are facts. This is a political statement. There's a lot of political crap that pops up on X because that platform is still used to divide us with a series of bots controlled by people who don't even live in the country. The bottom line is we are Americans and we need to find a way to come together in moments like this. And we don't even try anymore. What's the point? We got numb to thoughts and prayers. 
Now we get numb to the outcry for change because we know it's not going to happen. And it's sad that we've gotten to that point where we just accept it. It dawned on me several years ago after one of the various mass shootings that claimed a shocking number of lives. It might have been the incident at the hotel we stayed in last week in Las Vegas, Mandalay Bay. Mm -hmm. And it was on my mind in Las Vegas last week. I kept my eyes and ears open at all times. It was a potentially attractive spot for a lone wolf or anyone who decides to legally purchase a gun and illegally use it. Getting shot and killed or being traumatized by being in a place where others are shot, wounded, and or killed is one of the risks we take when we leave our homes. It just is. There are various risks you assume when you leave your house. The collection of risks used to be not getting shot and killed at any moment, at any time, in any public place. Church, school, store, Super Bowl, parade, and rally, anywhere where people gather, there is a chance, small as it may be in the grand scheme of things, but it is still there, and it didn't used to be, and in most of the other countries on this planet, it is minuscule, if not non-existent. What does that tell us? We like to throw out our chests and proclaim that America is the greatest country on earth. Is it? Oh, you hate America for saying that. No, I just like to not worry about getting shot when I go to the grocery store. I like to not worry about getting shot when I go to church. Not that I've been there in a while. I like to not have to worry about my family members leaving the house and getting shot. I like to not constantly have that portion of my brain everywhere I go that is spinning, spinning, spinning. Keep your head on a swivel. Be aware of any sudden movements or anything that looks odd. What are you going to do if it happens? I don't know. I hope it doesn't happen. Let me get my stuff and get to the cash register and get the hell out of here. I think about it almost every time. And you know that I'm basically on house arrest because I don't go many places. And I saw a documentary where someone was on house arrest. And it's like, I'm basically on house arrest. I don't go many places. But when I do, especially at the store, I think about it at least once every time I'm there. We are collectively terrorized. By this, and I don't want to say world in which we live, because it's country in which we live. Yes. And if we allow ourselves to be gaslit by the circumstances to the point where we don't care anymore, that's a tragedy almost as great. Not quite, is a- not close, but it's a tragedy oh. almost as great as, as what happens when, I'm sorry, I was pausing for effect. But, but my point is, we all experience this trauma when it happens now. Because I think any of us with a basic amount of common sense know when we leave the house, you could get in a car wreck, you get hit by lightning, something could fall on you that you don't expect. Oh, and you could get shot and killed wherever you happen to be other than at your home. You have a much higher chance of getting shot in this country, no matter where you are in public, than any of those other things that you just mentioned. I mean, I, I go back to what happened at Sandy Hook right in 2012. And I was still in college then, and I realized I'm dating myself by saying that. But I I remember sitting in my dorm room just being so shaken that someone could go into a school and massacre elementary school-age children and and their teachers. It still baffles me to this day that something further was not done after that tragedy because – I don't know. I, the, the NRA decided that that's just not what we want to do. I mean, you look at Missouri as some of the least stringent gun laws in the country. I mean, they, they in Missouri, they signed a bill that got struck down by a higher court that basically said that you, as in law enforcement officers, cannot enforce federal gun laws that also do not have uh, things that are reflected in the state legislature, in the state laws, which is ridiculous. And that was struck down by a court, right? Because you can't have that happen. So I just, I don't know what more we need to see to say that it is the guns, right? I mean, this is something that defensive end Charles Amenehue 
said on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it yesterday after the tragedy. And you can say what you want about the messenger. And I understand if people want to say something about the messenger. But what he said was this prayers to those affected at today's parade at a time of celebration ends in tragedy. When are we going to fix these gun laws? How many more people have to die to say enough is enough? It is too easy for the wrong people to obtain guns in America, and that's a fact. And I agree with him. It and, is. And it, yes, I agree. It's extremely well said. And it is not. Look, why can't we make? Why why can't we just agree that there are certain people who should not have guns? We have, and this is indicative of our national discourse on so many issues. We are so hardened in our positions. We can't even entertain anything that would seem remotely acceptable or anything resembling a compromise because whether it's the NRA, whether it's other forces in politics who love to divide us and keep us divided and scare us into thinking that one little thing is going to lead to bigger things. So many people who are fervent about their Second Amendment rights, the hell with the other amendments, mm-hmm. but we're going to cling to the Second Amendment. Forget about the other amendments. Two is the only one that matters. They're so concerned that any reasonable effort to make us all safer, to ensure that the wrong people don't have access to guns of any kind they fear that that's the first step toward the government going door to door and taking all your guns away every single one of them your shotgun your handgun they're going to take your entire safe where you've got this arsenal that could equip a small battalion somewhere It's amazing the number of guns that are owned and never used Mm -hmm. in this country. But we got to have them. We got to have them. Because, you know, you never know when you're going to need them against the government. They got tanks. They got bazookas. They got shit you can't buy. But still, got to be ready to pull out that gun and pop, pop, pop when a tank rolls up. It's I'm not blaming the people who have been brainwashed. I'm blaming those who have done the brainwashing, whether it's people who own significant shares of stock in the gun manufacturers, whether it's the politicians whose nests are feathered by contributions from folks who profit from this mindless nonstop buy and buy and buy. I remember there was a time when we first bought the eight acres that we live on I was somewhere, and there was a shooting range, and a little twenty-two caliber rifle. I mean, nothing. I wanted to buy one and target shoot on my land. Couldn't find the ammunition anywhere. Because, because Barack Obama was president, and everybody thought they're going to come take all our guns. So anytime the ammunition showed up, people would just buy it and hoard it. Because they're going to come take it all. They're going to outlaw it all. So we got to go buy it all. You couldn't buy 22 caliber ammunition because every time it showed up, people who believe that the government's going to go door to door and take all your guns and all your ammunition would buy it all while they could. How do you combat that? Once whoever it is, whoever is behind it, has brainwashed that many people, into thinking something that ridiculous. And we saw what happened after Sandy Hook, the exact opposite of what we believed would happen. You had idiots out there claiming that it was all a setup. Paid actors, crisis actors, didn't really happen. Alex Jones found out the hard way. He effed around and found out, running his mouth about that ridiculous bull crap. But it still happened, and there's still people who believe it. I know. There's still people who believe it because no one wants to give up Their fundamental position, the basic notion that if we agree to anything, anything that would make it harder for the people who shouldn't have guns to have guns, that's the first step toward the deep state's effort 
to come take all of our guns. And there's uh, and this, no way at this point. It's too late. It's too late to bring that horse back to the barn. It is. It, it is. And, it, and it's why when folks say, you know, we can't make this normal or this, we can't let this become normal. We, this shouldn't be normal. I mean, it is normal in this country, right? It, it's this particular country and it is a uniquely American problem. And it's why, you know, you can be gunned down doing anything. You could be at an elementary school, a movie theater, a church, a grocery store, a high school, a music festival, a college campus, a club, a freaking bowling alley. I mean, now we got a championship parade, and I, I just, I don't. And there are so many things that I missed, obviously, in that list. But I just, I'm just, I'm angry, Mike, and I, I, I don't know what exactly to do with that anger, other than just try to put it out in the ether and think maybe, maybe this is the thing that spurs some change. But then I saw a, another tweet that said, well, and you basically said this on the text chain too. It's like they, they will outlaw championship parades before they do anything to curb the proliferation of guns in this country. And damn it, if that isn't true, you know, and what a shame that is that that's where we are as a country and a society that we would say, well, man, instead of doing something about the gun problem, let's do something about championship parades. That's that, that is so messed up. That is so messed up. And in theory, a gathering like that is a much harder target than a grocery store, a church, a school. There were hundreds of law enforcement officers present, but the problem is there were just way too many people. And it's amazing more people weren't injured in the effort to get out of there once it became obvious that there was a shooting. Again, Early indications are it wasn't an act of terrorism. Regardless, it happened. It was a mass shooting. Whatever the motive was doesn't matter. It was a mass shooting at an event where there were many, 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 many people present. And again, the psychological toll that it takes on those who had to run for their lives. Because you don't know in that moment which way the bullets are going. You don't know if you're going to get struck down as you try to get away from wherever you are the moment you realize that the flight instinct has taken over and the adrenaline begins to go and you just want to get out of there and then you worry about everyone that you're there with not a lot of people just showing up at that parade alone they got people with them they got family members that they want to protect it's a horrifying thought and i look at tweets like the one that justin reed posted and everything he says is absolutely right this is sad kids are being shot and somebody didn't come home tonight we cannot allow this to be normal. We cannot allow ourselves to become numb and chalk it up to just another shooting in America and reduce people in statistics and then move on tomorrow. This is a serious problem. I pray our leaders enact real solutions so our kids kids won't know this violence. He's absolutely right. And that's something that I think if we went door to door and spoke to most people of sound, reasonable mind, they would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But how, how, how do we get there? See, the problem is we elect people, and this really isn't political. There are going to be people who get triggered by this because it threatens their political view. This really isn't political. This is pragmatic. We elect people because men shouldn't be playing women's sports. That's why we elect people, because that becomes the issue. That Mm -hmm. becomes the issue that gets people fired up, even though that problem, as so many out there believe it is, is minuscule. That reality is so small on the grand scheme of things that the stuff we should worry about. Yes. And it arises from a place of bigotry and hate. Yes. You know, the target always moves. Who are we allowed to hate? Oh, let's hate those people. And let's use that as a way to divide. We make choices based on issues completely unrelated. I've sat in this seat and said it's amazing to me. I live in a state where people vote against their financial interests all the time because there's some other issue that is more important to them than the money they use to take care of their families, than their life savings, than their ability to have government programs that will help them if they hit a rough stretch. They vote against those interests 
because they're manipulated by other things. And this whole Second Amendment thing has become part of it. It's become a huge part of it to the point where we elect people who won't do what, if this truly was a democracy, and it's not, it's a representative republic. If this truly was a democracy and the will of the people controlled, on this issue, it would be a no-brainer. On this issue, there would be real progress made because the vast majority of Americans want it, but there's no way to make it happen because we keep voting for the people who want to keep it from happening because we're voting for those people because of stuff that doesn't matter to our day-to-day lives, like how much money we have available, what government programs will help us in times of need, and will we get shot and killed when we go to pick up a gallon of milk? You know, Mike, the other thing I I think about with this, and I I completely agree with everything you just said, but you think about Kansas City as a location, right? Kansas City is going to host a bunch of World Cup matches two years, 2026. And if I am somebody from another country and I think, man, I really want to go to the World Cup in America, you look up Kansas City and things that have happened there, right? And the, the lack of gun laws and gun protections that are in Missouri as a state. How am I going to feel if I know that I can go there and get shot and killed at a sporting parade, let alone the event? I mean, my God, I, I just these are things that I think we really need to think about as government officials on one particular side of the aisle, because the other seems to at least want to advance policies um, that will help curb the gun issue in our country. But if we don't start thinking about that, right, what is our tourism industry going to look like once the World Cup comes and once people might have to be afraid to just go out and be shot? Shouldn't we think about that? If we're going to host one of the biggest, probably the biggest international tournament that there is, that's what I think about. That's an excellent point. If I didn't live in this country, I sure as hell wouldn't want to visit. I wouldn't want anything to do with it. I really didn't want to go to Las Vegas last week. had a great time. But I accepted the fact that the world right now is in turmoil There are many reasons for people to be sufficiently upset that they would do something crazy and get all the attention that they would want with all the people who were in Las Vegas last week. The city was bursting at the seams in the days preceding the Super Bowl, and you just get to a point where you accept it. It's what we do. I wanted to be present for the week preceding the Super Bowl. I wanted to do my job. So it wasn't an option to say, eh, I really don't want to be walking around in Las Vegas given everything that's going on in the world right now and given that it would be a fairly attractive target to somebody who decided to try to do something. But if you live in another country and you're thinking, I really want to go to the World Cup, eh, I'll wait four years. I'll wait till it's somewhere where people don't get shot and killed on basically a daily basis. They don't cover them all anymore. Like every once in a while, I'll hear the statistics about the number of mass shootings. And it's like, when did those happen? Like, how can you keep up with it? It would be the lead story every day. The latest mass shooting and mass shooting is defined. You know, I mean, maybe they need to change the definition of mass shooting because they happen so often now. But it doesn't take much to be a mass shooting. And they happen all the time in this country, all the time. They do. And they do. On the political side, look. I want to be fair about this, too. You got one side that don't want to do anything. You got the other side that wants to do something, but hey, they aren't very effective at getting it done. You'd you'd like to think that the side that is committed to fixing this problem could find a way to leverage the reality that the overwhelming will of the people wants change and figure out a way to work with their people on the other side of the aisle to get something done. So I fault both sides on this. The fact that nothing has been done is a reflection of a failure by both sides. One is deliberate, and one is negligent, careless, inept, because they can't take advantage of the fact that this is something the vast majority of us want and work with their adversaries 
to try to make something happen. And I know that if your adversaries are fully committed to not doing anything, it makes it more difficult. But when you have the will of the people behind you, I'd like to think they could find a way to get things done. And I'd like to, I would think like to think that too. That people Jesus will. Like, yeah. Every every seat every seat in the House of Representatives is up every two years. They're yeah. all up for grabs this November. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, as you're ranking your issues, oh, it's the economy. Oh, it's it's this, it's that. I'd like to think trying to create a world in which we can go to the store. We can go to church, we can go to school, we can go to a Super Bowl parade, we can leave our home and not have that constant radar, when's it going to happen? Is today the day it's going to happen? Is today the day? Is this the day? Is this the time? What's that person have? You know, I mean, I, I don't know that there's any chance of that ever changing in my lifetime because there's too many guns already out there that are capable of wreaking mass havoc and mayhem and murder and destruction. Maybe in your lifetime, Miles, but it's only going to get worse. And I don't know what I don't know what can be done. I agree with every sentiment that has been expressed. They're similar to the sentiments that are expressed every other time something like this happens and then nothing gets done. And nothing gets true. Done. And I, I blame our our leaders, and I don't even want to call them leaders because that implies they're capable of leading. They're not, or they would lead us out of this morass. You aren't leaders if you're not capable of leading. There are people who are career politicians who see an easy paycheck because they were able to get elected in their district, in their state, or wherever and however they chose to run. But they're not leading us anywhere. They're leading us. Oh, they're leading us somewhere all right. And it's into a place that I never would have dreamed when I was growing up we would be. No. Well, I mean, the, the one thing I would quibble with with what you said there is, you know, I mean, if you have one side that is fully committed to not doing something and you have divided government, then I mean, what, what did we just see on the border deal? Right. That's why things don't get done, because one side is fully committed to not doing something and they won't work with you on anything. So that's where I would quibble with you on that. But. You know, I it it the the well, end result is the same. You know, you can't necessarily right. just say, "Oh, well, let's take advantage of public sentiment." When the folks that are saying, "Oh, well, we want this," and they're like, "All right, well, let's work with you. Let's get something done." And then we try to get something done, and then they say, "Bleep you! No, we're not doing that. We're not signing that. We're not in. We're not passing that." Bah! You know, that would give you guys a win. Like that's not what it's supposed to well, be about. It's supposed to be about serving your constituents. So. I understand. I agree. I agree. And I guess my broader point is that one side of the aisle is very good at manipulating language, at manipulating brains, at getting what they want, even if it goes against the will of the people. The other side has proven that it's not able to leverage the will of the people into making things happen. So, like I said, on one side, it's deliberate. On the other side, it is kind of negligent because you've got the people on your side and you still can't figure out how to work the processes, all the processes out there, PR, within the halls of Congress, et cetera, to lead us to a place where we are all collectively safer. And I hear you. that's one of the big reasons why we are where we are. Yeah. And it's easy to say we can hold them all accountable at the ballot box, but the problem is we lack the clarity to make that the a number one issue that should be shouldn't that wouldn't that be i'm so glad my son is raised if my son was in school now he'd be homeschooled i guarantee you that but if we could just have the collective clarity there would be an election cycle or two where the people who are very strategic and cynical about how to get power and hold power will realize this is a loser I got to let this go. I can't dig in my feet and resist any reasonable change. I can't because it's not going to get me elected. I want to get elected. How do I get elected? I mean, that's what politics are. It's a very, you know, it's like coaching. How do I win a game? How do I put a team together to win a game? How do I get my seat? How do I hold my seat? What do I need to do? Oh, I'll take this position. Whether I believe it or not, 
Sorry, that's the way it is for a lot of politicians. They don't believe it. They just want to be politicians. They want to get, get paid to be in office. They want to have influence. They want to have power. And some of them are true believers, but a lot of them aren't. How do I get there? What do I got to do? And if we could go through a cycle or two when they realize, kind of like what's happening with the abortion issue, which is refreshing that the will of the people can overcome the stubbornness of certain politicians, you got you to start, you know, you got to start changing your views. And that's what it's going to take. It's not going to be quick. It's going to be a process. And it's going to take us, not them. Because they aren't going to do it until we, the people, exercise our rights at the ballot box to make sure they know we care about that more than we care about all the bullshit that they use to manipulate and divide us, plain and simple. That's all we can really say about it. Uh, We're going to take a break and we're going to pivot to football. I do want to acknowledge Lisa Lopez, a local DJ for KKFI in Kansas City, is the woman per multiple accounts and reports and also is announced by KKFI. She was the one who lost her life in this shooting, in addition to 20-plus who were injured. And, you know, again, we've seen far worse carnage but that doesn't make it any better because for Lisa Lopez and her family, it's the same result as we've seen miles everywhere else. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure when I pop open my email, I'm going to have plenty of people who say, I turned your show off after five minutes today. And you know what? I don't care. I don't care because we can't be silent in this. If you're going to turn off the show on a day like today, Go away and don't come back. Because we can't be silent. We can't be. And the more that people become numb to this, the more important it is for those of us, the platforms, to get everybody to wake up and recognize the change is going to come from us. We can no longer rely on the people who are supposed to lead us because they're either deliberately against us on this or they don't know how to fix the problem. So we need to get people in there on both sides of the aisle who are committed to fixing it and who can figure out, Miles, how to get it done. I'll give you the last word before we go to break. Well, yeah, I, 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 my, my condolences go out um, to her family, certainly. And, you know, like I said, that this, of all of these tragedies and each one strikes me, I mean, this one was just, it, it was very close to home for me, you know, and, that doesn't mean that I don't care about everything else that happens. But when there are people who I love, who, you know, I've read at their weddings, right? Like I, they're some of the closest people in the world to me. And they're this close to this. It's, it really, really, really makes me that much angrier. And, you know, I, I just, my hope is that this is finally the one that wakes us up and, and has us do something especially our group of politicians, but I'm, I'm very pessimistic about that outcome. I want to raise one more point before we take a break, because out of curiosity, I just popped open my email, and this is the first one I saw. I'm not going to name names. More people are killed by drunk drivers than guns. Fact! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. When do you want to take that action? Because it's obviously the alcohol's fault, not the idiot behind the wheel. So pour out your booze, buddy, because your ownership of alcohol makes you a potential murderer. Look, I don't know how old this person is, but I remember a time where drunk driving was a rampant problem in this country. It was a big deal. People were getting killed all the time. Did we just accept it? Or did we do something about it? And through the 80s, It started with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And look at what happened. Look at what happened. The legal limit was reduced in every state for the amount of alcohol you can have in your system when you operate a car. The penalties were dramatically increased in most states for drunk driving, especially for multiple offenses. Now, first offense, you still go to jail for 48 hours in a lot of states. I believe that's the case here in West Virginia. You can't wiggle out of that. So change was made. A problem was identified and change was made. So thank you, whoever sent that email, for hoisting yourself on your own petard with that argument because the scourge of drunk driving was cured. 
It's not completely gone, but it ain't like it was in the 70s. I remember the first time I heard the term designated driver. That became a huge thing in the 80s. And it was something that became a point of pride. I'm the designated driver tonight. That was never a thing in the 70s. So don't come at me with drunk driving because that's a prime example of a problem that we had as a people and we solved it. It's not a perfect solution. Still happens, but not like it did. And that's where we want to be as relates to mass shootings. If only we had the the will to get there. And I hold out hope that we, as the voters, will be the ones to spur the change. All right, let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live for you right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. At Rural First, we're the leader in rural construction loans because we don't work here. We work out here. We live rural, which means we know just what you need to build rural. Our dedicated team of loan specialists works with you throughout the construction process. And with our digital tool, you can manage your project all in one place. That's how Rural First gets you closer to what matters. Rural First is a registered trademark of Farm Credit Mid-America, NMLS 407249, equal housing lender, loan subject to approval and eligibility. Other terms and conditions may apply. Visit RuralFirst.com for more details. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. I wasn't ready to talk about yet because I wasn't sure which direction I was going to go, but I'm uh, sleeping on this for a few nights and I'm um, trying to make come up with a few tough decisions, but this morning I um, relieved Steve Wilkes of his duties. Um, Going to end up making a change here, defensive coordinator, but just where we're going, where we're at with our team, um, from a scheme standpoint and things like that. Um, looking through it all throughout the year through these last few days, um, I felt pretty strongly that this was a decision that was best for our organization, and even though it was one I didn't want to make, um, it was something that um, once I realized that I think a different direction is what's best for our organization, um, then it's something that I have to do. Kyle Shanahan is an incredibly talented tactician of football, but he's not suited to be an NFL head coach because he's a horrible liar. And he's admitted that. There are certain things he doesn't want to know because he doesn't want to have to lie. The way he answered the question about Steve Wilkes' status on his Tuesday season-ending press conference, when I saw those words, the way he did it, I thought, this guy's in trouble. This guy's in trouble. Because if he's safe, you're going to say in a full-throated, unequivocal way, what are you talking about? Of course he's coming back. And it was obvious from the way he answered the question. Not that he, the the point is he didn't lie. The way he phrased it, the truth was there. It was hanging out there that Steve Wilkes was in trouble. And now Steve Wilkes is out as the defensive coordinator of the 49ers after one year. And he was brought in to run a defense he doesn't specialize in. The team had moments where, you know, the cover zero blitz against the Vikings at the end of the first half of the week seven Monday night game, that wasn't a good look. And eventually Kyle Shanahan admitted, hey, I could overrule it, and I didn't. He could have, and he didn't. The lack of pursuit and effort, the words that were used by Steve Wilkes after the NFC Championship, that was unacceptable, as Wilkes said. But, Miles, last time they played Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, they gave up 31 points. This time they gave up 19 in 60 minutes of regulation. This time the defense was giving the offense multiple chances to have more than a seven-point lead at the end of the first half. I don't know how it's Steve Wilkes' fault. And I know there has to be more to it behind the curtain. There has to be something that isn't easy for Kyle Shanahan or anyone else to express in sound bites at a press conference. But it just feels weird 
that a guy who comes in in his first year and takes you to the Super Bowl and holds Patrick Mahomes to 19 points in 60 minutes of regulation football deserves to be out. There's a story that needs to be told, and this is where PR becomes important for the 49ers because I think it's important their fans understand that this is something that Steve Wilkes deserved, and he's just not the scapegoat because Kyle Shanahan is feeling the heat a little bit because the 49ers can't cash in. I, I do think that there's more to it than just what happened in the Super Bowl. And, you know, I mean, you pointed to two things that I was going to point to that, that week seven, zero blitz, you know, against Minnesota that allows Jordan Addison to go into the end zone. Right. I mean, that's something where the chemistry and the philosophy was not really correct between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes. And I think anytime you're coming in and you are running a defense that is not necessarily something that is, you know, inherent to you or what you would run, right? You're trying to take over somebody else's thing and adapt and adjust to it. That's going to be a little bit more difficult than just saying, hey, Steve Wilkes, what do you like to do? Let's do that. You know, the 49ers had a defensive scheme that was in place for a really long time, right? I mean, you go... Um, from uh, uh, Jets head coach uh, Robert Sala to then D'Amico Ryans, right? That was a lot of continuity that you had there. And then D'Amico Ryans goes and becomes a head coach and you bring in Steve Wilkes because he runs a four-down scheme. But, and this is something that I've seen a lot of 49ers reporters say, you know, he was more of a defensive backs guy, right, than he was front seven. And so part of the issue apparently is that, the 49ers defense is more or less designed to be called from front to back rather than back to front. Now that kind of sounds like a little bit of gobbledygook in some ways, but in others, I mean, I just, I look at the way the defense performed in some situations and you look at Kyle Shanahan in the middle of the game, I think in one of these critical third and fours, he like calls timeout before the defense goes out there and like before the Chiefs snap it, because like he doesn't like what he's seeing out there. So it doesn't look great when the defensive coordinator gets fired after you go to the Super Bowl and you hold Patrick Mahomes 19 points in regulation. I, I get that, right? But at the same time, sometimes people aren't the right fit for the organization that they're in and the position that they're in an organization. So I, I think that this is a raw deal for Steve Wilkes. However, I just I get it from Kyle Shanahan's perspective. On that issue of Steve Wilkes' background as a defensive backs coach being a problem, that question came up yesterday. Here's the question and the answer from Kyle Shanahan. Have a listen to it. He was the first guy that you had as a coordinator that was had kind of a, a different background working with DBs and things like that. Uh, do you think there was some sort of disconnect there, not having you know a guy with a linebacker who kind of connect the front and the back well there? Uh, was that part of the issue here? Uh, yes, I think it was. and I don't think that just is solely because his background is DBs. I just think it – you know, it has to do with, you know, the way we play linebacker um, and stuff like that and the way that, you know, Fred and Trey have done it here over the years and the way we've coached it. And, I mean, there's there's no one way to do things, but um, you want to tie things together. And Steve was always working to do that. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But um, it was just for, for his background and how it ended up with us, it was just – it wasn't – it was harder than it needed to be. And I felt it would improve us um, going a different direction. See, here's the problem I have with that. These are not factors that were hidden from Kyle Shanahan when he hired Steve Wilkes last year. Mm-hmm. You, knew that, you knew that this was going to be a problem. You knew that it was an issue. You knew that it was a difference in background that was going to manifest itself. What did you expect? He took it to the Super Bowl. He held Patrick Holmes at 19 points. You knew there were going to be flaws. You knew there were going to be road bumps. You knew there were going to be struggles. And you still got to the Super Bowl and almost won the damn thing. What more do you want from the guy? That's what confuses me. This isn't like, well, you know, we hired this guy thinking he was going to be one thing and he ended up being something else. We knew this wasn't going to be easy. We knew this was going to be a transition. We knew this was going to be difficult. Oh, and by the way, we almost won the Super Bowl despite it. And we're going to move on to somebody else because you know what? We should have hired somebody else in the first place last year. We shouldn't have hired this guy. Sorry. Sorry. We, we, we kind of made a mistake, even though our mistake almost delivered a Lombardi trophy. Yeah, and that's what I mean, that it's a raw deal. But I would go back to the game previously 
where the 49ers gave up damn near 150 yards rushing in the first half to the Detroit Lions. Like, that's where the problems were. And if, you know, Brandon Ike doesn't make a catch that should have been an interception, and if Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble, and we can talk about Dan Campbell's fourth down decisions, then this is a decision that would have been made two weeks ago. I, I, and I think that people might have understood a little bit more. I, I, th- but this is, I felt like, throughout the course of the season, things were not right with the way that the 49ers have played defense in the past and the way that they would probably like to play defense in the future. So that, that's why I'm like, I, I, I don't want to say that, you know, I, I don't understand it because I do. And that doesn't mean that it's, a, you know, it's not wrong for Steve Wilkes, especially because now that the Super Bowl is over, there are all these defensive coordinator positions that are already filled. So it's like, man, you know, you kind of bleep this guy over for next year, even though you almost won the Super Bowl. Like, it's just, it's not a great situation, but I still understand it. I, and I don't know how much sense that makes. No, it, it makes it makes some sense. I get what you're saying. And my guess is that Kyle Shanahan decided after the the win over the Lions that came the hard way. I got to make a change here. I got to make a change. Let's get through the Super Bowl and then we'll make our change. Unless we win, then it's kind of hard to make a change. Wouldn't that have been something if they'd won the Super Bowl and he fired Steve Wilkes anyway? Wouldn't that have been something? But I feel like he made the decision without taking into account what might happen in the Super Bowl and what happened wasn't enough to get him to change his mind. And I kind of thought that maybe... He already knew who he's going to hire. The, the way he explained it yesterday, they're going to look inside. They're going to look outside. They're going to look everywhere. I, I, it, it dawned on me that, well, you know what? If the news that we eventually get is he's bringing in Mike Vrabel or Pete Carroll or Bill Belichick to run the defense, we're all going to say, yeah, sorry, Steve. <laughs> sorry, Steve. Sorry, you're, at least you're getting paid for the next couple of years. But we understand why the move was made. But if he's just firing him and embarking on a blank slate, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. It really does support this idea that after that first half of the Lions game, Kyle Shanahan said we got to make a change. Yeah, exactly. And that's but, but the the first half of the Lions game was really, 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 really bad. Like it was really bad. All right, like it, it could not have been much worse defensively for the 49ers there. And that's where I, I I really do kind of understand it. And it was in some ways the best thing that could have happened to the 49ers because then they came into the Super Bowl like the badasses we think that they are. Right? They played, especially in that first half, with intensity, with fire. They weren't just going to give up every, any sort of yardage. I mean, they made Pacheco fumble. It's just something he does not do. So... There were a lot of encouraging things. I thought about the game plan that happened um, in the Super Bowl for the 49ers, but then you get the criticism from Nick Bosa that they weren't prepared for certain elements. And that's another thing where it's like, man, if your best player is saying that about your coaches, right? that's a problem, okay? And whether it's a coaching problem or the player problem, we can debate that, but it's not good when that's what somebody says publicly. Here is what Nick Bosa said both after the game and then in the aftermath of the conclusion of the season about defending the Patrick Mahomes zone read runs in overtime. Yeah, the zone read got us a couple times. We could have been more prepared there. Um, We have to know in in crucial situations who's going to have the ball, and obviously it's him. He had a scramble down the middle. That last drive. When you say you guys just claim you could have been better prepared, like if you said for the read option stuff at the end, people go like, oh, he's Dragon Wilkes. I mean, do you feel like just collectively you weren't prepared for those plays? Uh, it's hard to say. You kind of have to anticipate Mahomes wanting to have the ball in his hands. Um, we've played plenty of read option teams, so we have the answers for it. Um, but uh, I think uh, it's, it's tough when you play a team like that who has, uh, could beat you in a lot of different ways. Well, and see, that's the thing. It's not an indictment of Steve Wilkes. It's a recognition of the fact that there's only one Patrick Mahomes. 
You can't yes. be ready for everything Patrick Mahomes does because he can do everything. You take this away, he'll do that. You take that away, he'll do this. You take that away, he'll do the other thing. He can do it all. He can do it all. This was, and I was talking to somebody yesterday and hadn't thought of it this way, that play we just saw, that was the first time ever in Super Bowl history we had match point in a Super Bowl. You stop yeah. him on that fourth and one and you win the championship. First time ever. And they failed. All they had to do was stop him on that play and that was that. And were they ready for that? Well, they weren't ready for a lot of the things the Chiefs did because it's Patrick Mahomes, but they still held him to 19 points. So, look, when you first made the point about the players being prepared for everything, I mean, you could make the same criticism of Kyle Shanahan. Yes. They weren't bought in. They didn't understand. They didn't know what was going to happen in overtime. I just can't help but wonder whether or not, you know, and this, I'm going to, I'm going to be like certain broadcasters and not finish my sentence. I, 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 I want to make this point when you're, and this is indicative of the entire, this is indicative of the entire dynamic of the national football league. You become a head coach because you were really, really good at one, at one side of the ball or the other. And we see this all the time with offensive coordinators. You become a head coach because of your great work as an offensive coordinator, and that job continues to consume way too much of your total time to the point where you abdicate the defense to your coordinator. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Kyle Shanahan did what he had to do. He is so caught up in offense that he doesn't want to have to worry about Defense. I mean, we have seen him age like a president since he became the head coach of the 49ers seven years ago. One of the things that probably worries him, at least this year, is can I really trust the guy that I have given the keys to the defense to? And do I really want to live another season that way, spending more time than I want worrying about our defense? Because that takes me away from the thing that got me here the thing that makes me a brilliant coach, the thing that had positioned me to potentially be the next Bill Belichick, although it's looking more like he's going to be the next Bud Grant based upon the past several seasons. Regardless, he wants to get back to the bread and butter, and he wants somebody that he can trust to take care of the other half of the team. That would be my guess as yeah. to ultimately why he did it. I don't want to spend another season constantly worrying about whether or not my defensive coordinator is going to do what he needs to do. Uh, it, the, the thing that it is, is, is he's going to do the things that we've always done. And obviously when you've not been there the whole time, that's going to be a little bit more difficult because hell, he doesn't know the things that you've done the whole time, right? He's bringing in his own sort of philosophies and things like that. And sometimes that works, you know, when you want to get other ideas from outside the building, you want them to come in and you want them to help you improve. But the 49ers were number one, in points allowed and yards allowed in 2022. And they were still in the top 10 in both categories in 2023. But that was when Kyle Shanahan did not have to do those other things that he had to spend time on this year, right? And so, yeah, it, when he says you know, it was more difficult than it needed to be, that's exactly what that means to me, Mike. That I, I, I don't necessarily want to spend more time on this than I've had to in the past because I had trust, right, in, in Robert Sala. I had trust in D'Amico Ryans. And for whatever reason, that trust was not there with Steve Wilkes. And if you have to go through that, and if you're thinking about that, and you're thinking through that, then that's why you need to make a change because the trust is not there. And, you know, that's not necessarily anybody's fault. It's just the way things worked out. So as we move forward, Kyle Shanahan made it clear that he's looking inside, outside, anywhere, everywhere. However, they have a system that they run, a preferred system. That is one of the reasons why this was a problem under Steve Wilkes, because that wasn't his system mm -hmm. of specialty. Shanahan was asked, is he committed to the system they've been running, or would you hire a defensive coordinator with his own system? This is what he had to say. I'm committed to try and 
with a situation we're in trying to find what we believe will give the Niners the best chance in 2024. And when you have a group of guys who have played at a high level doing certain things um, a specific way for a while, um, I do feel that's the best thing to do for them. But if I find something that I believe in and I could be sold on that could be a better avenue, um, I would never hesitate to do that. So I'm not close-minded in any way. I'll look in uh, every possibility. Um, but, you know, when, when you have some good players who have played at a high level and done it a certain way, um, I'm not just trying to change that. You know, I lean towards trying to keep them doing similar stuff that they've been very good at that's got us very far. Um, but I have to make sure that um, I find the right person who's capable of leading our group in that way that the standard of how we have done it and that the belief that we'll continue to get better at it, um, I believe in with whoever I choose to do this for us. D'Amico Ryan and Robert Tyler were obviously very energetic on the sideline. I don't know if you know that had anything to do with your decision. That has nothing to do with my decision. Watch Salah now; he's not that energetic. Um, that's um, now that energetic on the sidelines has absolutely nothing to do with coaching. Uh, there's a reason Robert Saul is not energetic anymore. He has nothing about which to be energetic, frankly, with his current team. So I, I think if they were winning more games, he'd be a little more he'd be a little more boisterous on the sideline. I mean, his, yeah. his default demeanor now, I would interpret it as at what time am I going to be home? When will my this team end? is ass? When can I go to bed? Um. Uh, it feels good to laugh and smile a little bit after what we've been dealing yeah. with today. And again, that's that's what we try to provide to you. We're not being frivolous on a day where frivolity seems out of place. We're just trying to give you something. I feel like Shanahan talked himself away from insisting on the same system and talked himself back <laughs> to we probably need to do the system that we do. It's kind of like a therapy session yeah. instead of a press conference. And he talked it through, and yeah, you know, this was the problem. Again, if I don't want to worry about whether or not my defense is going to get the job done, I need somebody who has the system that is suited to personnel. That's the one thing that we have to remember. You have personnel that has been carefully selected and developed and coached over the years to run a certain system. If you bring in somebody else, this guy doesn't fit anymore. We need this guy. This guy's getting too much money to do what we expect him to do in this defense. It's going to be a season of transition. He doesn't want a season of transition. He wants to keep going. He wants mm -hmm. to go back to the Super Bowl and win it. And he doesn't want to spend week one through week 18 worrying constantly about whether or not the defense is going to hold up its end of the bargain. It's that simple. And wouldn't it be something? I would call him. If I was Kyle Shanahan, I'd call Pete Carroll. You want somebody to come in and run the Seattle defense? How about the godfather of it? Bring him in. Wouldn't that be something? And if I'm Pete Carroll and I wanted to remain the coach of the Seahawks and I got the door closed in my face like Michael Scott with Robert Dunder, hell yeah, I'll go coach the 49ers defense. Hell yeah. I'll do it. I'm still in the game, baby. And I have full dominion of one half of the team. And Kyle knows he can trust me. And I will be energetic. Even though that isn't a factor, you will see me chomping the hell out of that gum and running up and down the sidelines and throwing the passes pregame and being everything that I was in Seattle. Man, you know, usually I root when it comes to the NFL for drama and controversy and chaos, this is something that would be a blast to oh. see Pete Carroll running the San Francisco defense, uh, Chris or miles, Chris, Chris or miles. <laughs> um, I don't know who I Sorry. am anymore. Sorry, miles. <laughs> Sorry, miles. <laughs> That's I've, the I've worst never, thing I've uh... ever called you. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> not in the Jim uh, Rome fine. sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, let me just turn this table over and then we'll really get the uh, Jim Rome. Jim <laughs> effect. Um, 
I think it would be funny to see Pete Carroll in the San Francisco 49ers colors. I think that might hurt a lot of people in Seattle. I mean, Mike Brabel obviously is a guy that was a linebacker, you know, was a linebackers coach. Um, that also would make sense to make the call if he wants to stay in the game this year and not just do broadcasting. Uh, like that to me, I mean, he doesn't necessarily run that same Seattle based system. Uh, but, you know, if you want somebody who is more front to back than back to front, that also does make sense. And I think it would also be kind of cool to see Mike Brabel and Kyle Shanahan work together. I think that would be fun. And and then there's the Bill Belichick possibility, which I assume would never happen. But they are friendly. There is mutual respect there. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? If that Bill Belichick, who is currently faced with with the reality that he's not going to be involved in coaching this year. He'll be involved in TV in some capacity, so he'll still be in the game, and I think he wants to use that platform to make himself attractive to owners who might and will be. We know it will be inevitable that they'll be hiring coaches next year, but maybe the way to position himself for it is to get right back on the horse, humble himself by taking on a position of defensive coordinator, win a Super Bowl, which, by the way, will delay his effort to become a head coach next year. But uh, it just any of those three I think would be, would be great. And it would make me feel less confused and disappointed that, that Kyle Shanahan didn't give Steve Wilkes a fair shake because he knew what he was hiring. And the only thing I can say in defense of Kyle is he didn't know how stressful it was going to be for him to go through that year where he has a defensive coordinator who was kind of learning the system on the fly and not coaching the way that he was used to with D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala before him. Um, also, and and uh, again, they, they, they don't seem to be inclined to change the system, but this is a point that Chris Sims harps upon. The Seattle scheme gets exposed at the worst possible times. Four of the five biggest second-half collapses in Super Bowl history were by that defense including the 10 points that the Seahawks were leading the Patriots by nine years ago and they blew that lead but all the other times we've seen these big leads squandered four out of the five were Seattle scheme they got picked apart and Chris is big on explaining how you can use plays that stress the rules of that defense and find the openings. That's true of any defense. You've got 11 guys on the field. If you have a system that is a little too rigid, you allow for openings. Remember when the Tampa 2 was first in vogue, the the soft underbelly of that was the tight end seam route down the middle because the safeties were too deep and you needed an athletic linebacker who could cover the tight end who was taking off into that soft spot in the zone. Every defense has that. If you are so committed to scheme that you don't have the flexibility to cover the spots where the guys are going to go, if that makes any sense Uh, at all. Yeah, well, it it does to me. I mean, like that's why Mike McDonald has been so good because he runs that multiple scheme. He is very adaptable. Vic Fangio, another guy that has kind of done that, right, where you are that adaptable. Bill Belichick obviously has been adaptable basically his whole career. That's what he's made him such a great defensive coach. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get from snap to snap or from, you know, week to week. Everything could look different. Um, so, yeah, when you talk about multiple defenses and, you know, what a defense looks like and what are defensive rules and things like that. I mean, you said, you know, oh, Patrick Mahomes is – Patrick Mahomes and he can do all these things well Andy Reid also is a damn good offensive schemer right and he's given a lot of credit to Matt Nagy for what he's done this year and all that but when you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and they're two of the best to ever do it at their respective positions I mean that's why they understand how to expose some of the rules right and some of these soft spots within defenses that they're elite like that Well, we'll see how elite the next defensive coordinator of the 49ers is, whether the system is sufficiently flexible to cover up those flaws in those key moments. And it's an unexpected storyline that we'll be following. And Kyle Shanahan needs to move fairly quickly because it's going to be time to go scout. Not that Shanahan shows up anymore, but still at the scouting combine, there will be 
the official commencement, not that it hasn't already started, of evaluating who you're going to bring in. And if you're going to change that system at all, the rookie class is going to be your best way to get the players who will be better suited to a different system. All right, let's take a break. Chris Jones had mastered the art of leverage before the season, up to and including a holdout that went into week one. Now, he isn't exactly playing the leverage game when it comes to his future in Kansas City. We'll discuss that next year on PFT Live. At Rural First, we're the leader in rural construction loans because we don't work here. We work out here. We live rural, which means we know just what you need to build rural. Our dedicated team of loan specialists works with you throughout the construction process. And with our digital tool, you can manage your project all in one place. That's how Rural First gets you closer to what matters. Rural First is a registered trademark of Farm Credit Mid-America. NMLS 407249. Equal housing lender. Loan subject to approval and eligibility. Other terms and conditions may apply. Visit RuralFirst.com for more details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 